Roxy Bennett with you for Season 2, Episode 7 of Canny Chatterballs. I'm super excited today. We're going to get all legal on you. We've got Carleen Whiteman, Senior Lawyer with Lee Canny Legal, joining us. Hello, Carleen. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm so good. And this is the first time that you've been on Canny Chatterballs with us. Yes, it is. This is exciting. Now, well, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? What are you passionate about? What's your legal, what what flicks your legal switch? Yeah, so um, I've been practising as a lawyer for about 13 years, but 11 of those I've been really primarily in the area of wills and deceased estates. Um, I found, once I found that area, I was particularly passionate about helping people, um, helping their families and helping them protect their future, I suppose. Um, Recently, I've become particularly interested in helping um, families who might have children or a child with a disability and helping them and assisting them in what would be the best way to draft their will, I suppose, to plan for that child. Gee, that's really interesting. Look, I might talk to you a bit more about that in a moment, but I think a lot of people would be thinking, why would I go to a a solicitor or a lawyer to get my will done when I can spend 20 bucks, or I don't know how much they are, but say 20 bucks on a, a will kit from the post office and just fill that out? Yeah, and I get this question from people quite a lot, um, actually, because they do see the price difference if they just go and fill it out themselves. And they say, like, we're particularly smart people and we can do it ourselves. The problem is if they make a mistake in the will, will kit, and they don't realise it and then they die, um, it can be particularly difficult to prove to the court and then their wishes might not be followed. So I guess if you're not sort of a legal person that um, knows what particular things have to be followed, it can be difficult. So it's not necessarily a matter of just putting who you want to receive your assets. Um, when you prove a will to the court, you have to show that the will's been signed by yourself, witnessed by two people, the same pen has been used, um, oh. same colours, you don't mark the will in any way, and lots of things that um, a layperson might not necessarily take into account when they're making their will kit, filling out their will kit. And I think, too, people um, often underestimate what they have. So they sort of think, well, I don't have anything or if I have that, it'll all go to my partner. But it's that's not necessarily the case, is it? So you've got to be quite specific. You do, and people do say all the time, I don't actually have anything. But um, a lot of people don't understand if they work and they have superannuation that often has life insurance attached to it and then that has to be dealt with, not necessarily in your will, but it has to be dealt with properly. Um, Otherwise, you find that your wishes aren't necessarily carried out. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's, I can kind of say this, Carly, and you may not be aware, but I have been married a couple of times. Um, You've got to be sure to update your will very regularly because, if you don't and you're not with the person that has been mentioned in you, like there's all those complications. Yeah, and I think it can have sort of there's two um, kind of effects that question can have. So if you um, separate from someone but you don't divorce them, then your will um, that might provide that your assets go to that person, that's actually still in effect. So you die and you're, you've only separated from the person. Um 
everything is still left to that person and that's perfectly legal. Um, the second problem, though, is if you actually divorce and you haven't changed your will, then your will is actually void. So people don't understand that either. Yes. So one sort of legal um, activity trumps the other. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, right. And so... Um, yeah, that could, could get pretty messy, couldn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, if the... Obviously, if you forget to change your will and you've only separated, you don't, you wouldn't want your assets to go to that partner. Um, so that can create all sorts of problems. Um, and if you've div divorced and your will's revoked, then that can also cause problems because you would have to then, um, your assets would be distributed in as if you were intestate and therefore died without a will. Right, and then that gets really confusing. So just, for example, another thing I've just thought of, um, it just, even though you might put in your will that you want somebody um, to receive your superannuation, that's not necessarily the case either, is it? No, it all depends on what you've done with the actual superannuation company. So whether you've done a binding death benefit nomination, um, but that's also whether that can be put into effect also depends on whether your nomination is valid. So you can only nominate um, a spouse or children or someone who's um, financially or interdependent on you. If you, for example, if I went and nominated my mum and dad, for example, that would be an invalid nomination. Right. Okay. Um, now, another thing that I've often sort of thought about is power of attorney. Um, like, do I need to have a power? Do I need to name somebody as my power of attorney? Like, is it something you should have? I think everyone should have a power of attorney. Um, it's especially important when you're getting older because it can create all sorts of problems if you don't. <laughs> not at all <laughs> okay yeah all right so but as you get older and, and mind you it's, things can happen to people at any age exactly it mean that they are incapacitated so it's almost like look it just would make sense for anybody to appoint a power of attorney yes absolutely um, and a lot of people also don't realise there are different types of powers of attorney. So it's not just it's not just useful if you are incapacitated. You can appoint someone to look after your finances if you obviously not during COVID, but if you were going overseas um, for either a short or an extended period. Um, and then also okay. there's well, if, if there's a medical uh, power of attorney, isn't there as well? Yes, there's an, an appointment of medical treatment decision maker, which is a medical power of attorney. And that's obviously only if you've lost capacity. That one's particularly important um, if you also have sort of, I guess, different family dynamics, because legislation yeah. says who is your medical power of attorney. If you don't want that, though, it's particularly important to have it. I always say it's important to have it anyway so that your wishes are clear and in writing, but particularly if you don't want to follow the legislative mandate, I suppose, it's particularly important to have it. So do you have to let the person know that they're your power of attorney? You do, um, and, in fact, they have to sign. It didn't used to be the case, but um, in recent years you have the person has to sign a statement accepting their appointment, So, right. um, which I actually think is a better um, way of doing things because previously you could just appoint someone and you didn't necessarily even have to ask them. So it might come to that point and they say, oh, no, I, I didn't 
know about this, I didn't choose this, I wouldn't have wanted to do it. Whereas now they have to sign a statement of acceptance, which means I guess that the person is forced to talk to who they're appointing and that person is forced to consider what it means to be appointed. Yeah, absolutely. What about when you have children? So if you've, because I've always thought this is pretty complicated. If something should happen to you um, or the, the, and the other parent of the children, like how does that all work? In terms of power of attorney? Well, or- I suppose in terms of, um, I mean, maybe away from the power of attorney now and looking at what happens to the children if both parents um, are deceased. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, in a person's will, they can appoint a guardian, a person that they would like to act as their power of attorney, um, sorry, as the guardian for their children. Um, If both parents were to die, then the person they've listed in their will would still need to apply to the court to be made their legal guardian. Um, But it's I still say it's very important to put that in your will so that everyone knows where you're coming from and why you've selected certain people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, Now, you mentioned that um, one of the things that you've become recently really passionate about is working with families where there is somebody with a disability within the family and making sure that wills are written to ensure that those people are looked after should something happen to the ones in the family who have been presumably caring for them or managing things for them. Yes. So tell us a bit about that. How does that all work? Well, I guess um, a lot of people, and it certainly depends on the nature of the disability, um, but when someone comes in, they might say to me, my child has, for example, an intellectual disability. I would say you can create a sorry create a trust situation um yep so that someone else um deals with the money for that disabled child so you would appoint in i guess a friend a trusted friend or family member who would be in charge of their money and it would be dealt that person would make decisions about how it's spent on behalf of that person. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the the experience that I've had when I've spoken to parents, particularly of people with a disability, their very real concern is that, um, you know, should they die and then their child, who they've looked after their whole life, is left on their own, who's then going to look after that child? And that's a very real concern. It is, and I think there are a couple of concerns with children with with a disability. One is if you left them, I mean, I guess it depends on the level of disability, but if you left them the money um, to to have to manage themselves, one, you know, they, they might be particularly vulnerable and um, would, would be led, I guess, in a direction to spend money or give it away and then they wouldn't have the money for their future. Uh, another concern for people is who's going to actually look after my child, whether that be under 18 or over 18, um, and how am I going to ensure that my child has all the supports that I'm currently giving him or her? Yeah. And that all has to be taken into uh, Obviously, not all of it can be dealt with in the will. A lot of the personal questions like who's going to look after my child and what support will they receive when I die, 
that necessarily can't be put in the will, but we can certainly put in um, supports for how are we going to look after that money so that we have a trusted friend or family member looking after it to make sure that they live the life that they're living now. Yeah, absolutely. Gee, it's very complicated. And I bet that you would be talking to some people who would feel a bit overwhelmed by even making a will in that circumstance. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of people as well might come in for an initial conversation, but then it's quite overwhelming and don't come back to actually put what we've discussed into place um, because it is overwhelming. And it's very difficult to think about what will happen to your child when you're the primary carer. You know, to be honest, Carlene, I think um, it's actually difficult thinking about your will because just the sheer nature of it means that you're thinking about the fact that, you know, you might pass away and what's going to happen when you're gone. And that's a hard thing for, for all of us, really, to confront. Yes, absolutely. And all of the different, I think um, a lot of the time people will come in with maybe an idea of um, how things are going to be or how they could do things. And then when they're confronted with other issues that might crop up, that concerns them as well. Um, So, for example, if they have an idea of where they're going to leave their estate and who they're going to leave it to and, and you raise potential problems with that, they can find that quite confronting. Well, on that note, um, and and again, this can be really, look, uh, just in my experience, nothing brings out the worst in people than the reading of a will, um, I have found. But, um, you know, it's it's not always fair and equitable in everybody's eyes. Um, When you're writing a will, you would need to explain where there might be... um, you know, a problem that could cause somebody else who might feel that they um, should be named in the will and aren't or should receive more but but aren't, that that needs to be dealt with. That creates quite, because families can be quite fractious and, you know, not everybody wants to be just, oh, well, everyone gets an equal share. It's not like that. No, and I think it's um, also there are a lot of different reasons why people don't want to give um, an equal share. It's not necessarily, oh, this child hasn't spoken to me for X number of years, so therefore I don't want to leave it to them. Sometimes it has more to do with a child that's provided them with more assistance or a child that they have lived with for their entire life, um, something of that nature. And even though the the person might say, oh, I've spoken with my other children and they're quite happy with what I'm doing. We still have to give them the same advice because it's often the case that once the death has occurred, they're actually not happy with how it is. Yeah, yeah. And it's just such an awkward and awful time because you're you're dealing with the loss of somebody and then if if the will is creating the way the will is written and however is creating further anxiety, then it just compounds it. Yes, absolutely. Making it as simple and clear as possible, I would think, is the best idea. Yes, absolutely. And a lot of people ask me, well, if I give um, this son or daughter X amount of money, will that stop a claim? Well, unfortunately, you can't answer that, uh, which makes people sometimes... um, quite concerned but you can't say if you give them a percentage or you give them a monetary amount that will be enough because that's not always how it works and it's also difficult because you're giving 
someone advice based on what's happening at this point in their life and of if they don't um, come in to update their will or review it, then things could have changed significantly when they die. There, there can also be tax ramifications, can't there, for, um, for, for you know, if you leave money to certain, um, I'm not sure actually is it tax or it's like if you leave money to people further out from your um, immediate family, I mean, do they have to pay like a probate or something like that? Are there these sort of issues? No, there's no issues like that. But obviously if you, if you, there are certain people that most people have a moral obligation to provide for. So if you have a spouse or you have children or stepchildren or someone who's been caring for you, you might have an obligation under the law to provide for them. If you don't, if you then start providing for other people, it might be the case that the children make a claim against your estate and say, well, you didn't actually have any obligation to provide for these other people you had an obligation to provide for me and now I'm not getting enough yeah yeah um have you found um I mean I would think it's not necessarily a regular thing that there are fights over wills maybe I'm wrong um but if the will's written well and those things are taken into consideration that that limits um the thought that there might be fights over the wills I think you can do you can only do so much to stop an argument over a will. Often it's the case that the estate just might not be big enough to warrant the children making a claim because it obviously costs quite a bit of money um, to go down that pathway. So often I think even though maybe a lot of wills would have um, would give rise to a claim, um, either the children accept that that's what their parents wanted or they receive legal advice and decide it's not worth it to actually pursue the claim. Mm. It's a very complicated area, isn't it? Um, and I suppose the, the the big thing is that it's just important for step number one is to have a will. Yes. Like that's important as a step number one. So at what age should somebody get have a will? As soon as they're 18, they can make a will. Yeah, and I suppose when you think about it, like I think about my daughter and she has a will um, because we've had this conversation, but she has a car, she has superannuation, um, she owns possessions. I mean, that's that's enough to, to warrant making a will. Well, I think so. Like I said as well, there's superannuation and hidden life insurance. Sometimes it can um, factor into it and... Yeah, it's important to to have a will, but probably also equally important to review your will. Yes. Well, okay, talking about reviewing, and I actually have to do mine. So, all right, tell us some of the things that should trigger you to review your will. Um, Things that would trigger would be for me that what we talked about divorce or separation but for me obviously because you need to be separated for 12 months to get a divorce as soon as you separate you should review your will Um, if your children become adults a lot of people then decide that they'll make them executors of the will and that might change they might take out guardianship clauses and so on Um, if a child's situation has changed so sometimes unfortunately Unfortunately, a child might go off the rails and that's also another 
situation where we might do the um, the trust for that child, similar to if a child had a disability, uh, but also other reasons. If your child has their own business, you might also think need a different will structure. Um, another, and if you have had a falling out or a fight with someone in the will, um, not necessarily your children, but yeah. with an executor or something like that, um, yeah, all of those things should turn your mind to doing a new will. Well, I recently purchased a new property and so that's why I know I need to review my will. Yes, yes. And look, often if you... Um, get additional assets, your will's fine to stay the way it is, but you should always turn your mind to it and say, how is this life experience or thing in my life that has changed affect what I've got in my will? Should you tell the people who are um, who are going to be recipients of the will, should you tell them about your will? Should they have a copy of it? I always say to people, you don't have to tell them. It's really your choice. I would probably tell executors, so the people that are going to be in charge of distributing your estate who may or may not be a beneficiary, um, you should tell them that they are the executors mainly because if and where your will is located because if you die, they need to know that they're the ones that have the right to get the process started. Um, and then I guess I say to people, it's up to you as to whether you want to notify all the beneficiaries. So speaking of executors, and it's interesting because you answered a question I was just about to ask. Um, so speaking of executors, first of all, do you need to get their permission to put them as an executor? Again, you actually don't need to get their permission, but my advice is to always talk to them and ask them if they're happy. And 99% of people want to do that anyway. Um, I've had a small amount of cases where people have refused to be an executor, where they've been appointed as one because they had no idea that that was done. And that can, again, cause lots of problems. Mm. And when you said that it, tell the executors where the will is, that was the other thing I was going to say. How do people know that a will exists? Well, we always give our clients a copy of the will, which um, has obviously details of where we are and where we're located. And I always say to the client, to clients, you should put this with your personal possessions so that when people are looking around, if you don't want to tell them, when people are looking around after you pass away, they can see where the will is located. Um, but obviously, it's a lot better if you tell your executors, this is what I've done, this is where the will is. You don't actually have to tell them who you've left the money to, but just tell them where it's located. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Um, and I would presume that if you're putting in the will very specific things about how you would like to be buried, that um, that it's important that the executors get that will straight away. Yes, um, but on that, I, I usually um, say to clients, you should probably tell your executors or your children, whoever, um, what you want in, in that regard, because it's often the case that you pass away and nobody reads the will until after you're buried or cremated or, or whatever. Um, a prepaid funeral is sometimes a good idea, um, which sets out your wishes as well. So that's a tricky one. We do put it in a lot of our wills, what the clients want, but you just, you do risk your will not being read in time. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, the other thing that the Canny Group has got, which I actually think is awesome, and I'm considering doing for myself um, because my will's pretty straightforward, is you've got online, you've got wills online that you can do. Yes, yeah. And so um, I think that the wills online is a fantastic idea for you know, busy people or people that do have um, things that are relevant relatively a situation that's relatively straightforward and also the good thing about our online wheels is that if anything um, out of the ordinary pops up so we ask lots of questions and if something out of the ordinary pops up it won't let you go any further so it actually tells you no your will actually isn't straightforward like you think you need to contact canny legal and we can discuss your options right that's fantastic so there, there are different, um, like there's the basic will, is it like you've actually got different levels of the wills that you can do online? Um, no, we have we have different packages. And so, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, so um, it's basically based on whether you can do the simple will online or whether you need advice from a lawyer. Yeah, and I think right. that's, that's an important, and it's important in our questionnaire to, I guess, answer honestly, otherwise your will won't be generated in the correct way. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's been absolutely fascinating, Carleen, and a really great reminder. I feel like we should be doing this at least once a year. Yes. Having this conversation about wills because it's a great reminder for everybody to either get a will or update their will should it be needed, um, but to at least consider it because like even other things like you might put an executor in there and that executor might have passed away. Yes. And then who's going to do, do you know what I mean? Like there's lots yes. of scenarios that can change, um, you know, the circumstances of a will. Yes, um, absolutely. So, yeah. Look, uh, I, I guess the best thing for people to do is to jump on your website, um, check out the the, um, the all new website, which is very gorgeous. Um, and just look at what's available there from the will's perspective and see whether you've got a simple one that can just be done by yourself on the website or whether you might need a bit of further assistance. Yes, absolutely. It's cannygroup.com.au or all the details will be in our show notes. Harleen, um, thank you so much for joining us um, today. Um, it's been really lovely getting to know you and um, having a chat to you about wills and all things that we should be thinking about but maybe not dwelling too much on <laughs> likewise thank you very much <laughs>